the dominant theme of ancient indian history was anything but non-violence the myth of a non-violent and peaceful ancient indian society was deliberately forged by men like jawaharlal nehru and mahatma gandhi during our struggle against the britishers but the fact remains that ancient indian society was punctuated by numerous episodes of bloody warfare with all its consequent violence and to gain a better perspective on this issue there can be no other better source than our own machiavelli the legend kautilya chanakya of modern vintage it is in his work arthashastra that we find a detailed exposition of war and a detailed description of the incessant warfare that formed the hallmark of ancient indian polity now in arthashastra kautilya has attached a very significant importance to war in the total volume book 10 is totally devoted to war while in book 9 11 12 13 and 14 there are significant sections which deal with war so the importance of war for that political expert is understandable now before we venture into war the first thing we need to discuss is about the army the arthashastra talks about a fourfold army first the horses the cavalry second the elephant third the infantry and fourth the chariots now megasthenes the greek historian talks about a navy but we are not very certain about it because chanakya does not mention about a navy in contrast to the discussion of warfare in the epics like say in the mahabharata which focuses largely on warriors riding to the battle on magnificent chariots in the arthashastra the elephants occupy a predominant position Although the description of army administration in Arthashastra and in the accounts of the Greeks who visited India during the Mauryan period are somewhat different, but one thing definitely stands in common. Both testify that the army administration during those days was a highly centralized affair. We have Strabo who says that there was a royal monopoly on the ownership of war horses and elephants. and it was a state who looked after them besides he also tells us that there were armorers who built arms and the ship builders and the mechanics who were employed by the state exclusively for the purpose of war and they were granted a fixed monthly wage according to chanakya the qualities of an ideal army should be such that it should be formed of soldiers who belong to hereditary warrior families that means they must be acquainted with the art of warfare since multiple generations he states and this view is in consonance with the ancient indian political thought that the ideal army should largely consist of kshatriyas however at one point kautilya makes an interesting departure he holds a special reservation against the brahmans 
he does not like the idea of a brahman army very much he says that a brahman army is liable is prone to desert the battlefield when the enemy soldiers prostrate before them and offer them their respect this is a very singularly interesting observation chanakya wants the brahmans to stick to their vocation that is being priests and officiating in religious ceremonies he does not want them to take arms and the argument that he puts forward is equally interesting the brahmans are prone to deserting the battlefield if their ego is satisfied by the enemy soldiers another interesting observation by chanakya here is his preference for vaishya and shudra armies now vaishya and shudra armies featured in indian warfare which is very very long time yeah, it is fact but his idea chanakya's idea that a vaishya or a shudra army could prove better than a brahman army only points towards his proclivity towards pragmatism as opposed to a blind reliance on tradition that was basically the hallmark of chanakya his novelty in putting forward new views dramatically new views now chanakya devises a particular routine a time table for the king under discussion according to him the king's daily time table daily schedule should be divided into eight parts military affairs should occupy a substantial section of it according to chanakya the very first thing that the king should do in the morning after waking up is to listen to the army affairs and pay attention to the income and expenditure of the state again in the seventh part of the day the king should inspect and review his horses elephants troops and soldiers and the final part of the day he should engage in consultations with his commander in chief and devise new military plans against enemies also different types of troops have been mentioned by cortelia like the we have the hereditary troop and then the higher troop banded troop troops belonging to allied kings alien troops and then we have finally the forest troops there is a hierarchy the hereditary troops are considered to be the best while the forest troops are considered to be the worst now the this banded troops the sreni bala this is the term chanakya uses it's a very interesting observation this actually means more like a bands of soldiers under their own leaders and the leader can be contacted and entered into a contract with so that he could place at the king's disposal the service of his soldiers this is very much like the system of borghis prevalent in medieval deccan the bahmani sultans and later on their successor states enlisted maratha borghis by entering into contract with the sardars their chiefs everyone in bengal should be very familiar with borghis right the infamous borghi raids of 18th century but that's a different story and we would come to that later on now cautelia 
is in favor of recruiting this bandit troop, this Srinivala. He disagrees with the traditional view that these bandit troops are very difficult to control. He says no, they are not difficult to control. Only the king needs to king needs to conciliate the chief or to create dissension in their ranks and win over a section of them to his side. And then they would be very easy to control. Even otherwise, they have they have a better knowledge of the local terrain and therefore they could prove very useful in warfare in a hostile territory. Now this observation is very much in line with Jahangir's observation in 1620. Yes, perhaps 1620. He noted in his memoir that the Marathas are very important players in the Tekan politics. He said that they are a sturdy lot, they know a great deal about the Deccan and their alliance would be of great use for the Mughal army. Accordingly, Abdul Rahim Khane Khana was asked to win over the chief Maratha Sardars to his side and among the Maratha Sardars who defected to the Mughal side included Shivaji Raja Bhosle's ancestors too. Again, we have in Artha Shastra a detailed exposition of the salaries of different kinds of army officers and different kinds of soldiers. The Commander-in-Chief is perhaps the highest paid official of the state. He gets a monthly salary of 48,000 panas. That was the currency in prevalence during the Mauryan era. Now, the reason for providing such a handsome salary to the Commander-in-Chief was to prevent him from anyhow getting disloyal to his king. The ordinary foot soldier, the infantry, he used to get 500 panas for his service. Again, a humanitarian as well as pragmatic aspect of Kautilya's mind comes into view in this connection. He says that the soldiers who have died on the battlefield, their families should be looked looked after with the utmost care by the state because it is the duty of the state to ensure that the families of those who had died for the sake of the state should be well provided. This would not only provide righteousness to the king but also help in securing the loyalty of his troops towards him. Besides soldiers, the construction of fortress, the construction of arms, armors and looking after horses and elephants and the duties of the officer in charge of the armor. The Durgo, sorry, the Yuddha, Yuddhagar Adhyaksha are mentioned in great detail by Kautilya. He also doesn't fail to mention the chain of command and the different types of battle arrays, the Buos and the weapons and the siege tactics and the military strategies and maneuvers. Now we come to the imperial camp of the king at the site of the battle. The term that Kautilya uses for the imperial camp is Kandhavar. This Kandhavar of Arthashastra is no simple army camp. No, it is elaborate and it is magnificent. It has boats ramparts, huge gates, and separate quarters for the king's lodging, audience hall and space for different types of troops and officials. It has within its enclosures physicians, astrologers, brahmans, priests, 
ministers, machine makers, carpenters and so on and on. On the eve of battle, Chanakya advises the king to perform rituals and make offerings to the sacred fire with the utterance of mantras from the Atharva Veda. Brahmins are advised to beseech blessings for the king for his victory and for his attaining heaven. The king on the eve of battle must remain extremely vigilant so as to prevent any act of disloyalty happening within his own ranks. At the same time, he must be watchful to grab any opportunity to instigate rebellion in the enemy ranks. Also, another practice which will bring to the mind the, the system of the Mughal emperors that of carrying their women folk on long marches. Chanakya always advises the king to carry his wives with him. They should, they should march along with the king in the center of the array and the king should sit on an elephant or a chariot absolutely at the center of the array. A decoy king, a false king could be placed at the front so as to guard the king against any possible attack, any possible surprise attack. Now the pragmatism in Arthashastra comes out most clearly when Chanakya talks about the harassment and the oppression that warfare inflicts on the people. Plunder is a very routine aspect of Cotillian warfare. The shares of plunder between the allies, allies and the confederates are very clearly mentioned in Chanakya's work. The plunder shares that depend on number of factors like the amount of exertion undertaken, the number of troops, and the amount of success each confederate army tested and so on and on. Now we come to the most important part that of siege craft. Cortelia says that when the king is undertaking a siege of an enemy fort, he must not disturb the settled countryside. He must not lay fire to the fields and the farmlands. He must show generosity and compassion towards the subjects of the enemy king. But at the same time, he must never allow any provision or food crops entering into the enemy food. To that end, if need arises, Cortelia specifically advises the king to adopt any harsh measure as he likes. No amount of violence is unjustifiable in this connection. Now the aims of warfare. The aims of warfare in Cortelia's pragmatic mind hinges on the economic considerations. Cortelia talks of advancement and decay, vriddhi and khoi and both are understood in terms of economic undertaking. This concern forts, waterworks, mines, forests, elephants, forests and so on and on. So any sort of war 
which would lead to augmentation of this economic resources or their better utilization is beneficial to the king and any sort of war which does not lead to the same is not beneficial to the king and should be duly avoided by him. Such economic considerations actually pervade the entire Arthashastra. The name itself hints towards the primacy of economic considerations. It is Dharma Shastra. No, it is not Dharma Shastra. It is not Kama Shastra. It is Arthashastra, where economy reigns supreme. Not surprisingly, Kautilya talks about winning over enemy commanders and soldiers. Bargaining is a very important part of statecraft in Kautilya's view. And this should remind us of the numerous instances of bargaining that happened in our medieval past, more so with the Mughal emperors and their Deccan campaigns. Right from the days of Akbar, when Raju Dakhini was won over, then we have Jahangir who won over the leading Maratha Sardar, then Shah Jahan who won over Malik Ambar's son Fath Khan and then finally Aurangzeb who won over Abdullah Pani of Golconda so as to assail the impregnable stronghold of the Qutub Shahi Sultan. You see the pattern is very much the same. It is very interesting, I know it is very interesting but there is a continuity, there is a very interesting continuity throughout Indian history which I wish to put forward to all of you. Now we come to the classification of war. Cautilia says that there are three types of war, no actually four types of war. Three types of war are discussed separately but the fourth one is discussed in another section. Three types of war are open war, crooked war, silent war. Prakash Yudhya, Kut Yudhya and Tushnim Yudhya. Open war is when fighting takes place at a predetermined time and place. Crooked war means attacking enemy suddenly. In crooked war, the element of surprise assumes paramount position. Now, silent war means pretense, ambush and guerrilla tactics. Silent war was a war that was waged by Maharana Pratap, Malikamba, Open war is always the preferred option when the king is militarily superior than his adversary. This was a preferred mode of warfare with the Mughals too. But in the plains of North India they took on their enemies and more often than not tested success. This was open war in practice. However, when the king is weaker than his opponent, Kautilya suggests taking recourse to crooked war or silent war. The fact that he does not he does not consider crooked war or silent war as reprehensible on the part of the king speaks volumes about Kautilya's pragmatism. Pragmatism of a man who lived more than 2000 years ago that is extremely interesting even to this day. Now the fourth type of war, as we discussed separately, is the diplomatic warfare. This has to be, this has, this is for the extremely weak king who cannot 
confront his own enemy under any circumstances for him to survive he must take recourse to diplomatic warfare which means winning over his enemy through persuasions negotiations humble attitude presence tokens and so on but at the same time maintaining his independence now you see when akbar was in tekken this sort of warfare was undertaken by bijapur and golconda they had no might to take on the grand mogul but they men- successfully maintained their independence by these manners they presented the submission they offered gifts lavish embassies offered their daughters in marriage and so on and therefore es- managed to escape from the wrath of the great mogul now coming to psychological warfare this is the most ingenious contribution of fortelia i can say this with certainty Cortelia says that on the eve of battle astrologers should proclaim in a loud voice the king's omnipotence and his association with divine powers and divine agencies this should definitely fill the enemy's ranks with fear he also suggests the king king take recourse to occult practices black magic and such other supernatural things and to this end book 14 has been entirely devoted to a discussion of magical practices to deceive and destroy the enemy troops this includes working miracles using mantras magic potions and spells to frighten harm kill or seduce them being meticulous as he always was cortelia also gives the antidotes for all this in case the enemy uses them against the king so the main thing that comes out that strikes us in cortelia's arthashastra is a great deal of pragmatism in display righteousness definitely takes a back seat matter of honor and dishonor are not very important for cortelia what matters is victory and the consequent gains out of it although he doesn't totally dissociate himself with the matters of honor and dishonor he of course says that dharma vijay means a victory that is won in open warfare is superior to all forms of victory but he never loses his focus on the main thing that is economic gain only economic gain reigns supreme in arthashastra economic considerations over petty consideration of dharma or dharma is a main theme of the entire arthashastra be that as it may the arthashastra is one of the most important treatises of ancient india one that doesn't cease to marvel us even today even after 2000 years and it still holds a good amount of importance for anyone who desires to know the intricacies of politics i hope you enjoyed it thank you